Welcome to the Fertility Podcast, where we aim to educate and empower you on your fertility journey, whatever stage you're at. I'm Natalie Silverman, a digital content creator, patient advocate, and co-founder of Fertility Matters at Work, which is on a mission to get you better supported whilst going through all this at work. And I had my son after successful fertility treatment. And I'm Kate Davis, an independent fertility nurse consultant. In this new series of the Fertility Podcast, we're going behind the scenes of IVF. Do listen to the end of every episode because we want to hear from you. Let's get stuck in. This series of The Fertility Podcast is sponsored by Tomorrow, whose mission is to safeguard life's most precious cells using their technology to bring a new standard of care to the management of frozen eggs and embryos. Now, the millions of frozen eggs and embryos under clinic care today are using tools and technologies not updated in decades. When Tomorrow came along, it brought much needed innovation to IVF labs. Learn more by visiting tomorrow.org. Kate is snorting, <laughs> snorting at me because I just said I've got the decorators in and that's not a euphemism. <laughs> but I tell you something, I've got a female decorator in and I was telling the girls oh, at the before and we were saying, isn't that funny that we're like, oh, and it's a female decorator. I was like, yeah. So, but we wouldn't have mentioned it. I wouldn't have thought twice if it, I wouldn't go, oh, I've got a male decorator no, in. I'll join you on that one because I've got a female chimney sweep and I was very excited about that. I, do, I mean, the fact you have a chimney sweep, how, how first world is that? A female chimney sweep. Well, <laughs> if I was still doing my breakfast radio show, who would have been like, get in touch with your male related jobs that you're doing. Yeah. So um, yeah, feel yeah. free to get in touch. Welcome to another episode of the Fertility Podcast. I wasn't going to hit record at this point, but Kate started snorting so much at me. <laughs> And it's just so I hit record. The way you came out with that was just hilarious. <laughs> and I, tell, I don't know if you can see behind me that you probably can't. I've got like I can, but no. Phoenix's bedroom. <laughs> I've got Phoenix's bedroom in behind. It's just everything is in this room, and yeah, I'm like I'm. I'm I've just had my lunch in here on a little plate because they're doing the kitchen. Uh, and oh, nice though to have the decorators in. What are they doing? Freshening up? Nothing exciting. Just a freshen. Oh, that's but, nice um, though. Anyway, that's all good. good. All good. Hmm. So, welcome to another episode of the Fertility Podcast, and this one is called "How Happy Is Your Embryologist?" And this is something that we were keen to talk about for a multitude of reasons. To have a think about how embryologists feel because we talk about them in such high regard about how important they are as a patient how important the embryologist is and if you listen to this podcast and you've not yet started fertility treatment and it's something that you might be embarking on and and you're just finding out about it the conversations with your embryologist make up quite a significant part of your treatment once you've had your eggs collected and then you're waiting to see what happens with them before your embryo transfer and I'm sure Kate you've had conversations with clients about the many conversations people have with embryologists. Yeah I do and I think what's really interesting is I don't think that patients tend to realise or appreciate the role of the embryologist until they're actually in treatment um, and they get to understand what the embryologist does and then have that that dialogue with the embryologist I think initially it's all about their consultant and their doctor and and their nurses and then then this realization of the embryologist prior to that I think it was embryologist embryologist who so it's having that better understanding later on I think it's changed massively what we know about embryologists and You're going to hear as our first guest, actually, a conversation with an embryologist called Elise Daniel, who is basically a social media sensation. 
and I know Kate, you had quite a bit of fun looking at her socials before. I mean, I'd I'd seen her doing various things and then, then shared what she did with you as someone that we wanted to talk to because I think as you're here, what she's been doing has has really changed the landscape for a patient's understanding of embryologists as well, hasn't it? Yeah, it absolutely has. And she she's great. I really enjoyed listening to her. I think I mentioned the fact that she was like a breath of fresh air. She was just really exuberant and very passionate about her job. And it was lovely. And I, and I guess it's like seeing the younger embryologists coming in with a different focus and perhaps, as you say, utilising social media in a way that perhaps the older embryologist wouldn't have done. We'll have a listen to Elise and we'll put all the details of how you can follow her, of course, on the show notes. Here she is now. I'm very excited to welcome Elise Daniel, aka Elise the Embryologist. You might be following her on Instagram or TikTok, where she's become a total online sensation with her videos going viral to the podcast. Welcome, Elise. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be here. Well, if you don't know, Elise shares loads of reels from the lab, giving you all sorts of behind the scenes from the world of... IVF. So interesting. I've been fascinated today having a look at quite a lot of them going, oh, I didn't know that. Let's start with what prompted you to share your work. Obviously, the world of social media makes it so much easier. But was there a moment where you were like, I can do something with this? Yeah, well, you know, it was something I had thought about for a while because I saw in our personal patient population that there were so many patients who had really no idea what was happening. We were getting a lot of questions, repetitive questions, and I was like, you know what? Clearly there's a lack of education in these topics, and I wanted a way to be able to share that information, Um, and really social media was the best way to do that. Um, I had considered some other things, but, you know, social media works out so well. You reach so many people, um, and it's so nice to, to have been able to share what I know. Um, I'm really passionate about fertility in general and IVF, as well as um, teaching. I did some teaching in my undergrad, so it was kind of a way to merge the two things that I really enjoyed, um, and it culminated into a really great thing. So I'm glad I decided to jump in, and my siblings gave me that last little push to get on TikTok, so I'm glad they did that. <laughs> and it's fascinating, isn't it, Elise? Because I've always felt that what goes on in the embryologist lab is a bit of a mystery. You know, you're behind a closed door. Patients don't get really to see what you're doing or even you. And so it's fascinating to be able to open this up to people and to see, you know, I feel like looking at some of your content, I've been looking down the microscope with you. You know, it's incredible that the stuff that you're showing. And I, <laughs> one of them where you're going, can you see the embryo? And I'm like, now there's a dot there but is that on my screen and am I really seeing things properly and I found that really fascinating so thank you so much for sharing this it's just amazing yeah and that's another big thing is there's such a mystery behind the lab there and I really find that very unfair to patients because they're spending so much time and money and emotional effort into this whole process and to not know a very big part of the process to me seems so unfair so I'm glad that you know, it's able to kind of empower patients to learn more about their treatment um, that can really help them in the future as they're going through their tre- treatment themselves. And, and what would you say the feedback's been like from the patients? But also, I don't know if you've been at the same clinic the whole time or whether you locum. How do you work? Yeah, so I've only gotten very positive feedback from patients. They're so sweet. I will say I have not really had a whole lot of, you know, the negativity on social media. I get a little bit more on TikTok because it reaches kind of random people sometimes but 
overall, I mean, people are so sweet. I get the sweetest messages. Just need to continue to create things. So my clinic, on the other hand, was not quite on board at first. I think because they didn't quite understand what I was doing. And really, I considered it an asset. Um, so there was a conversation about it. I was like, I'm not willing to to get rid of this. It's something that I think is a really fantastic thing. And, you know, after a couple of weeks and, you know, they talked to their marketing team and realized that it could be a really good thing. Um, they got on board and, you know, they were posting my content on their, on their site pretty regularly too. I think it was just a lack of understanding and eventually they realized how big of an asset it could really be. You know, from here on out, any clinic I go to, I'm marketing it as an asset because I mean, I have patients who ask me where I work and we'll choose that clinic over somewhere else because that's where I work. And so, you know, to me, that's absolutely an asset for any client. Absolutely. I was going to ask you what resistance the clinic might have had, because obviously you're there and you're sharing, I guess, some of the practices. What resistance did they have initially, other than, like you say, it can only be seen as a good thing, but what were, what were their concerns? So their concerns were with HIPAA. Um, which is, you know, privacy rights here in the US. They wanted to make sure that I wasn't sharing any patient information, which I never have. I'm very cautious about to make sure that, you know, there's no dates, there's no names, there's no date of birth, nothing that could be identified with a patient. And then they were concerned with their brand um, because they were, you know, they had worked really hard on cultivating their brand and just didn't want any possibility of that brand being tarnished, which I completely understand. So we came to an agreement that I would not share where I worked and I kept that private and that what worked for me. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it's, it's really whatever, whatever the clinic wanted to make of it is fine. It's very interesting now that um, I've actually currently left that position. Um, but they have now kind of done very similar things that I'm doing. Oh, what a surprise. Like, well, clearly it works, you know, so, um, but that's fine. You know, it, you know, it's a form of flattery that they clearly think that I know what I'm doing, but that's fine. Um, so whatever clinic I go to next, will um, I'll make sure I market it as, a, as an asset for sure. Were you surprised with the with the videos that went viral or did you expect them to? Or have some that you didn't been more popular? There were some that I was surprised by. Um, my The very first video I had go viral was not necessarily IVF related. It was on like periods in general. And that one I just made like very last minute on a Friday afternoon, like took 30 seconds, posted it. And the next day I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like there's all of these like comments. That one I was very surprised about. And then there are some that I spend a lot of time on and I'm like, oh, this is so cool. There's so much information and like nothing. <laughs> so it's very hard to tell. Oh, that's just so typical, isn't it, of social media? <laughs> the ones that think you think you're going to do really well, they don't. And then the ones you're like, oh, okay, that's taken me slightly by surprise and they do really well. The videos have even had you on uh, Good Morning America. Tell us what you were, you were kind of dispelling myths with that one, weren't you? I was. Um, that was right around National Infertility Awareness Week. And so they reached out to me, actually called the clinic looking for me, which I think was so funny because I have my email like everywhere. It's so easy to find. But yeah, they wanted me to talk about some bigger myths that I see in my field and kind of spread some awareness. So I thought that was a great opportunity to spread some awareness of infertility on that week. And it was such an honor. Um, I was like, so taken aback. because I was like, oh my gosh, like they called me up and tried to find me. It was really cool. One of the reels you've talked about red flags with infertility clinics. And there's obviously quite a lot of differences in, in like regulation and stuff in the US compared to the UK. But you'd made a comment about look at how happy the staff are. And 
what we're trying to talk about in this episode is is mental health amongst embryologists and I'd love to just gauge a bit more from you on that because we are going to ask you a couple of questions you know about what makes you happy and and what makes you sad but how often do people talk about the way staff look from your experience? Very rarely, especially in the lab, because patients aren't seeing them very often. So patients aren't seeing embryologists and andrologists on a regular basis, like they do nurses and front desk staff and maybe the physicians. So they don't always know, you know, how we're acting, how we're feeling, because they don't see us. So if there was something, you know, severely wrong, they may not um, see that. So it's, it's hard because we don't seem to have anyone to kind of advocate for us other than our bosses. If I were going into a clinic and saw a nurse was very unhappy, I'd be like, what's going on? Like, why, you know, why do they seem unhappy? What, you know, it could just be that one nurse on that one day, but if I'm there all the time and, and the nurses seem to be unhappy, that's a problem. You can't see that with the lab all the time. I completely agree with you. One of the things that I say to my patients is when they're trying to choose a clinic to actually go either well ideally go in COVID times obviously it was all by video but go and get the feel of that clinic because if you feel right and you feel comfortable then I think you're halfway there if you feel that something is off and you don't get a good vibe then really listen to your gut and that comes from everything from you know maybe how long they've got to wait in the waiting room to how they're treated the minute they walk in the door to to are the staff welcoming because if they're welcoming and happy then that makes all the difference. This is a, a prime example of, of somebody that I think can do so much good. And this happened to me yesterday. I was coming back from, not yesterday, uh, Sunday. I was coming back from London. I got off the train and what the um, train conductor who had been checking all our tickets on the train was stood. He got off the train, he was stood. And he was just, as the people got off the train and were walking out of the station, he just said, thank you very much. Have a good day. Hope you enjoyed your trip with us today. And just that, he didn't have to do that. You know, he was the man taking, looking at the tickets. He didn't have to step off the train and say that. But just saying that made such a difference to my journey. And that was a short trip on a, on a train. And you think, well, how important is it that people go into a clinic and get really good experience and see the staff and can feel happy in their staff and that the staff are happy? That makes such a difference. It absolutely does. And seeing how they're interacting with each other, because if they aren't interacting well with each other, that eventually can affect your care. If they're not communicating effectively or they don't seem happy with each other, that trickles down eventually into the lab, into the nursing staff, and things fall, start to get dropped and things get you know fall through the cracks and it's just all around not a good (laughs) good situation yeah so when it comes to you personally what makes you happy and obviously there's an extra like level now with the with the social media stuff because that's like Mm -hmm. a bit of a buzz isn't it when stuff's obviously taking off and you're getting all this other interaction with people and I'm sure you're having all sorts of different conversations that you never expected as a result which is brilliant tell us a bit more about what makes you happy apart from being a social media star weird to think of it like that because I am such a normal person <laughs> but, um, yeah I would say it I really enjoy the work it I find it very rewarding I'm a type of person who really needed a little bit more instant gratification than something that took years to see to fruition and so in the lab you know I can see a case for seven days and get like oh I did a good job sort of thing and I really enjoy that Um, And just the technical aspect of it. It's so cool that we can even do any of these things. And 
it's so fascinating. Every day I learn something new. There's constantly new research. So I just feel like it's always a learning experience, which makes it really fun. Um, and I also very much enjoy the technical aspect, feeling like I can do something so special is really very cool. That sounds so gratifying, actually, if you've got that job satisfaction. Mm -hmm. But then on the other hand, what makes you sad? For me personally, in my previous clinic, we didn't have to relay a lot of news. That was something that the physicians do. They wanted a, a very personal relationship with their patients. So I didn't have to deliver a lot of bad news, which I know a lot of embryologists do. So that was something that I didn't have to do, which made that part kind of a, a negative that I didn't have to deal with. Um, for me, it's work environment. You know, I left my previous job for a reason. <laughs> um, and a lot of times labs are understaffed. Um, the embryologists are overworked. Um, and they aren't often uh, valued. And their opinions aren't necessarily the most important um, which is very frustrating because we are doing a lot of the work and we're such a big part of the process. Um, so to be treated poorly is um, very hard and it weighs on you after a while. It gets to the point where you feel like you can't do your job effectively. Um, and that's really hard because you feel like you're doing the best that you can and it's not about the work. Um, it's about the environment. And ultimately, the only person who suffers is the patient. And that's really hard. I want to just pick up on those two points. First of all, you talked about the kind of the workload and, I, mm. and I've talked amongst embryologists about burnout and the kind of expectation of being there and also a change in like approach to work that maybe the older generation of embryologists would expect to be there all the time, whereas maybe a younger generation wanted not that it's going to be nine to five but expect there to be this work-life balance have you noticed that there may have been some issue with those different approaches to work we're being very diplomatic in how we talk about this <laughs> absolutely so, you know I do think that the older generation of embryologists there were so few of them that they did it all they did all the work. They were there all weekend. They were there over holidays. But with more embryologists coming into the field, for us, while we enjoy it, while a lot of embryologists love what they do, it is still a job. And, you know, we don't want to be worked to death. Ultimately, again, that's affecting patient care when your embryologist is exhausted and burned out. That's not going to help your outcomes. Um, and I think just in general, as a society, whether it be in IVF or any other job, People aren't going to slave themselves to a job. It's just gotten to the point where they're not going to do that anymore. Um, and I really value those who have stepped up and said, look, this is not how we're meant to live our lives. And I'm not going to be here, you know, all day, every day, especially when you're not paying me well. It's just not worth it. And I think a lot of people are really taking their mental health and saying, look, this is more important than the job. While I do love it. I can't keep doing this. It's it's something that I have to put my foot down and say, if this isn't going to change, I have to move on. I just feel like sometimes the human aspect of a job is overlooked sometimes by higher ups. They're like, oh, they're a part of the company. They're not an actual person. They may not be always thinking about that person as a person who has a life outside of work, who has their own struggles and own, own difficulties. And, you know, sometimes you're thought of like a robot and, and that's just not the case. Mm. Um, and you touched on how you haven't necessarily been involved in the patient facing delivering that kind of news. And we've had a couple of conversations with, with embryologists about how that feels. 
is it something that if you were to do, you'd seek out support in how to do it? Because we've also had people say that they're not really supported or trained in how to do mm. it. And there's like an assumption that you just, because you're in it, you can do it. When we know, you know, from a patient point of view, you're hanging on the phone to the every word that's said. And when it isn't good, and especially if you might be in, in work or in the car or in a toilet or a party somewhere, you know, and you're hearing this news and if it's not delivered in the right way. So how do you feel about how you might be trained if you were to do more of that or what you've heard from your peers? What I've heard from my peers who have had to do that in their experience, there is no training whatsoever. Um, And it's really, again, if your focus is providing excellent patient care, which I believe all clinics should be striving to that, they need to make sure that their staff is equipped to be able to give that sort of information. I absolutely think that that's something that needs to be added in a part of training. If you're going to expect your embryologist to give that information, they need to have some sort of training. And now it's easy. It's You can do a virtual course. It's not something that is that expensive or takes that long to make sure that they're giving information in an appropriate way. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I, I'm surprised that this hasn't been highlighted you know, before and that changes be made to to give you that training that you absolutely need because delivering bad news is hard at the best of times. Delivering bad news over the telephone takes a skill, a huge skill. It's not something that I would feel comfortable about doing because I think you lose so much. I mean, we're talking now and the three of us can see each other. Our conversation would be very different if we couldn't see each other. Mm-hmm. We're not delivering bad news. We're having fun here. But imagine delivering bad news and not being able to see each other and not having the training in which to do it effectively. I think is, like you say, is not doing a good service to your patients, sadly, through, through no fault of your own, but the situation that you find yourself in. And it's not effective patient care it's not and I think as well like from a patient journey experience so like when I went through my treatment my like best friend had been through treatment and she went you want to get in with your embryologist they're going to be you know they're the most important person and so you instantly put that person on a pedestal and then you're instantly like oh the embryologist and it's only from my work doing the fertility podcast that I've then got to go into labs and got to talk even more to embryologists and got to know them and got to learn about how passionate they are and on the podcast we love talking to to embryologists and from a kind of patient experience to know that that person that you put on the pedestal and they've done all this and they've been calling you and they've been updating you and you've got this very quick, intense relationship with this person that then could just end horribly if they deliver that bit of news badly from you, from a patient point of view, that little encounter that you've had is also going to be tarnished. And it's such a simple thing that we could ensure, isn't it? That the whole experience of that two-way little relationship for as brief as it may be that we're in each other's lives, like you said with the man at the train station, Kate, it just Mm. finishes in a nice way. Mm, Totally. The other thing is if you are in an environment where you're not feeling supported in general, or maybe you have a difficult boss or a stringent schedule or you're not staffed appropriately those phone calls are even harder to make because Mm -hmm. you're already in a state personally where you're stressed and you're overwhelmed and and then to then have to make a call you're already starting from a position that's not great so that makes that call even more difficult and even even setting the scene to you that the person you're calling might well be in a meeting and they've got to excuse themselves they might be in an open plan office they might not be able to go somewhere private like all little nuances of that conversation for, for, for you that would help when it happens well these are the conversations that we're having aren't we Natalie about fertility in the workplace um and how we've kind of looked at the 
the treatment cycle and how when it comes to before embryo transfer you've had your egg collection and then you're waiting to see how these embryos are doing and your best friend is the embryologist waiting waiting for those phone calls and those phone calls as you say are often taken in in the work situation and work environment where it's so difficult to be able to go and find a probably find somewhere quiet where you're not going to be disturbed but actually then to receive bad news and process that bad news while you're at work it's such a difficult time um for for both for both of you for both you delivering it and for the the patient receiving it so from your experience Elise, i know you said you've not done a lot of it but just the interaction that you have with patients because i don't know but i'm assuming that it's not all good conversations that you're having with people on your socials because of the nature of the beast how do you manage that found from my experience that being transparent as much as you can really helps. If the patient feels like you're being honest and you are trying to give them as much information as they can while being straightforward, I have found that that is, gives you a little bit more success. You find a little bit more success in that. Um, Cause I found that patients don't like to have, ha- you know, beat around the bush. They want to be told straightforwardly. They want to, they often want to know what the next steps are. They may have some questions. They may need a little bit time of time to think. I, you know, I always make sure I tell them that I'm, I'm open to any questions. I know this is a lot of information. If you'd like to call me back, here is my number or send a portal message or an email, however um, the clinic does it. Um, and I found that that is, has been the best strategy is to keep it upfront, straightforward, um, and get kind of get to the point. They've already been waiting for so long. So for you to be on the phone, kind of beating around the bush, they're like, I've already been waiting for this. Just tell me, I want to know, and we can go from there. And I want you there with me when I learn what's next and, and walk me through the next process. And I always suggest to them, you know, I know this is a lot of information, take some time to digest it. If you have questions after that, feel free to give me a call back. Feel free to schedule a consult with the doctor if you have questions for them. Um, Because I know it takes some time to digest and then you may have questions after that. Sound advice. Well, it's been lovely talking to you. Thank you for what you're doing. Keep it up because we love seeing down your microscope and we look (laughs) forward to what comes next. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I love love chatting with, with you all and just chatting with people in general about this. And it's I always learn. So I feel like I've learned more from talking to other people on social media than I have just in the clinic because you learn it from the patient's perspective, which is really totally. great. I thought it was really interesting talking a little bit with Elise about her experience in the lab and bringing that human element to it, talking about how she might be treated as an employee. And I think not that you need to be worrying about that as a patient, but I think it's just quite a good insight, isn't it? To know that there's quite a lot of pressure and you're going to be hearing from some other embryologists as we go through this episode. But has it made you think a bit differently, Kate, about what the job role is? Totally. I mean, I I don't think I appreciated the the long hours that they work, which is madness because we know that the clinics stay open for a really long period of time and they work weekends. I don't think I appreciated the fact that every time they want to get the very best of their patient, obviously, that that must be be taken on in quite a personal way as well. I've completely had my eyes open to the role of the embryologist and, and the impact of their work and what that can have on their mental health and how happy they are. Next up, we're going to be hearing from another embryologist. We're coming back to the UK and we're going to be hearing from Victoria Wigley, who has set up her own independent practice. It's called All About Embryology. She's an embryologist with 14 years experience and we're going to hear from Victoria why she decided to set up the service that she's offering. It's really new in its infancy. She's only been going a couple of months. Here she is. 
it was a bit of a leap of faith, I guess, when I decided to set this up. Obviously, as you said, I've been an embryologist for 14 years and it was all I knew. Over the last three years, I actually moved into a lab manager role and I was in a much smaller clinic than I had been before. And I was able to really start spending a lot more time with the patients. Um, And this was something that as much as I'd wanted to before, we just never had had the the time to do it. We'd have quick phone calls with them, quick chats, you know, before the embryo transfer. And you didn't really get that opportunity to to build a rapport with the patients. Um, It's something that the the doctors would always get to do. um, But it was never really something that, that the embryologist could really do. Um, So over the last three years, I got to spend that time with the patients and I realised giving them embryology consultations, we could really go alongside what the doctors were doing. And it opened my eyes up to the fact that the patients are really missing quite a big gap of information that comes from the lab side. Um, Not only um, sort of all the terminology and exactly what it means, but also the support from the lab side. And we're delivering some quite important information to patients you know we're telling them the fertilization results we're the ones that they're waiting for that all-important phone call from so it was something I I thought more and more about and that's why I decided to sort of take this little bit of a a, a leap of faith and and set up um, an independent consultancy service where I could provide that to the patients in in clinics who they might have otherwise not not had that so I wanted to be able to do what I was doing obviously at my previous clinic but on the other hand, I also wanted to be an independent advisor so they could be someone that they could turn to. There is so much in the press at the moment about add-ons and um, all these things that are making patients feel quite vulnerable and probably questioning the incentives of the fertility clinic. And if they can have someone who is completely impartial with that expertise to go through the ins and outs of exactly what everything means and what the success rates are, what the risks are, they can really then make an informed decision themselves um, and go back to the clinic and ask the questions they want and feel like they're back in control. Um, So that's really why I set it up. It's only been launched the last two months, um, so it's still very new, um, but it's something that I really believe in, so I hope it can help people. I can completely concur with everything that you've just said there, uh, Victoria, and um, I think when it comes to IVF, I think patients go into an IVF clinic and they're obviously seen by the doctor and I don't think they appreciate the role of the embryologist at that point. Um, and almost you're a little bit, I always kind of feel that embryologists are almost hidden. You know, you're in the lab. Yeah, you're kind of not behind the door. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're not, you're not seen by the patient. And it isn't until they potentially meet you or hear you on the phone for the first time that they actually then realize that you are the most important person to them in that clinic because you're going to be the people that are phoning them up every day or every other day giving them an update on those precious precious embryos so I can completely understand why you feel that there's a, a missing link there and that actually you're fulfilling a need that could be really beneficial to patients. Totally yeah, see that. I really hope so. Thank you. <laughs> and also, one of the reasons that we were keen to talk with you, Victoria, I know it's early days of what you're doing, but this episode is about the mental health of an embryologist and what you've just explained in terms of what you're able to now do. I'm curious as to how that kind of plays with your own mental health because you're delivering such important news and at the same time, it can be amazing and it can be devastating. So, Let's just start with a a bit of what makes you happy, you know, as an embryologist. 
I mean, it's what we're doing that makes us happy. That sense of pride and, you know, self-worth, I guess, that we have. I mean, what we are doing is incredible. We are literally making life um, by bringing together the egg and sperm and, and watching the embryos grow and transferring the embryos back. It's, it's something that you can day to day get completely sort of in the motions of and almost forget what exactly it is you're doing. And I used to find every now and again, I'd get a moment of like pure amazement that actually, you know, I've, for instance, just changed which sperm I've decided to inject at the last minute or bit because it went out of the field of view or, or it started to swim upwards in the drop, which meant that I, I didn't pick it up. And at that instant of me changing, I could have changed the sex of this baby. I could have changed the physical characteristics. So you get this pure amazement that you're, you're, what you're doing is incredible and you're picking up a pet, a potential baby. So I'd say that's the part of the job that makes you happy, that you're, you're genuinely doing something incredible. Um, and when you talk to friends about it and, you know, they're, they're really interested in what you do. And it's often, you know, the topic of dinner parties and things that people, they just find it fascinating. So, yeah, that's certainly what, what I love about the job. But when you say that, you know, it's a baby, but actually it's so much more than that, isn't it? It's a life, it's an adult, it's a whole lifespan that somebody will be born into and will then continue their life for 80, yeah. 90 years. It's massive, it's huge. I've never really thought yeah. about it that way. What makes your job difficult, hard to bear? What are the difficult days? What 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 are the days that actually you just kind of want to just not be there or that you want to go home and you've had a bad day and you hit the biscuit barrel? You know, what are the, or, yeah. or the gin, depending on your, you know, your, <laughs> you're leaning what are the difficult days uh I'd say there are quite a few that go with this job the majority obviously I'm not going to speak for all embryologists but I know a lot of people that I've worked with and certainly myself it's a job that you have to be very slightly OCD I'd say very perfectionist based and you have to really have that drive to make everything absolutely right you're following the protocol strictly to the T and you can do all of that and then sometimes it just doesn't work. And you, without trying to put that pressure on yourself, you have a sense of responsibility. And when you're suddenly factoring in that this isn't just a company making money, this isn't just, you know, something very small in, in terms of, you know, you might not have, have got a good, you know, article out or, or whatever the, the role is. We are dealing with something that is someone's, absolute life and these people are you know people that are financially you know really burdened by what they're going through they're emotionally they're physically drained by it all and you're there trying to do this and if it doesn't work there's always an element you come away and you just you want to cry because you say could I have done anything more and you know that actually you couldn't have done anything more but you really want to um, sort of have that sort of reassurance that it it wasn't you and so you have to find that within you um, so I'd say that's probably the toughest part of it um, and also dealing with especially I found in the last three years when I was uh, you know being able to to build up that relationship with the patients you go on the journey with them and when it doesn't work or they get pregnant and then they lose the baby it's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And there was there was one particular a patient who had it happened a couple of a couple of times too, 
And I remember I heard the news one day and I was in the lab and I had to stop what I was doing and just go out of the lab for, for five minutes just to compose myself because I was just broken for them. And you get, you do, people don't realise, patients don't realise, but especially in the smaller clinics, we get so heavily involved with their cycles that it is, it is really hard when it doesn't work. So yeah, that's, I'd say the hard, the hard part of the job. Thank you for explaining, Victoria, because I think it, it is something that as a patient we wouldn't think about and it, you explained it really eloquently there. And, and I'm interested as well in what, support is there then is it just with your peers that you can because you all know what it feels like rather than you know your friendship group for example or is there because I I know that there's more and more conversations about kind of mental health within the the ART field and you know hours that you're expected to work and and training and all different elements of, of the process and is there more talk about there being official support or places to go and have conversations that are useful? Yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly something that is coming more on the radar. It's not something that I was ever involved with. I potentially could have benefited from it. But I think the most support we would get was from each other and the reassurance from your colleagues that there was nothing that you did that caused that one egg that the patient had to degenerate after you injected it or, you know, that they didn't get pregnant. It was just one of those things that you did everything absolutely right but I think that's where most of us would get it from. But I would say there certainly could well be. And I know lots of workplaces are having it now where they, they have their own service that you can go to if, if you feel you need to. But I think it's something that we definitely could, could benefit from because at the end of the day, we're scientists. We're not trained in breaking bad news. We're not trained in the emotional side of it. And we're now being put into a situation that is very emotive um so it's certainly something that i think you know we we could well benefit from from being in the lab thank you it is a wonderful job though absolutely wonderful job (laughs) and that's that's obviously what you know we're keen to highlight because it is such a fascinating area of this you know and over the years i've been fortunate to speak to lots of embryologists and and now able to make the podcast and now i'm working with i3 the international ivf initiative Mm -hmm. which is the whole body of embryologists and just find them all all fascinating hence wanting to just delve a little bit deeper into you know what it's like for you so I do really appreciate you giving us the time and just sharing a bit more about what it is you do and good luck with the new the new project Mm -hmm. thank you very much thank you it's been a pleasure speaking to you both I know you were really interested in what Victoria was saying Kate it probably made you think of when you decided to set up on your own as well didn't it totally and I love the fact that she has because I I set up to bridge a gap between people going to their GP and not getting getting the support that ideally would help to maximise and optimise their fertility because sadly GPs don't have the time. So for her, Victoria, to be able to offer a service that again fulfils a need and a gap, I think is priceless. And I'm so pleased that she's working independently and offering that services because I think it's going to be really valuable. I think we're just getting, as a patient, braver in asking more questions. It's something we've always said, haven't we, about no stupid questions. And I think that... There's obviously a need for these more one-to-one independent services because the patients are maybe feeling that, I don't know why they're not doing it in the clinic setting, but they want that extra. They want to feel they've tried everything. Yeah, I think, you know, within the clinic setting, there are timescales. Doctors and nurses are, and embryologists are super busy. They probably don't, as much as they would love to, have the time to sit down and, and spend 
a great deal of time with their patients talking through all the ins and outs of it. It would be unfair for us to to expect that all the time as much as they would love to give that time it's just not possible Mm. under the pressures that they're under so to have somebody like Victoria who is providing a service and giving more information is super. Now both Elise and Victoria mentioned how they want more training that whole speaking to the patient training and in our final chat you will hear a bit more about what training does exist before we get there though hopefully you heard our last episode which was the first one of this new behind the scenes series called how green is the IVF sector and we spoke to Danny Smale who is another embryologist about her research into how green clinics are do go and listen because we've been also running polls to see how much of this mattered Uh, to you, whether you were interested in whether a clinic was green or not, whether it was something that you were even thinking about. And to be fair, most of you said it wasn't. In fact, almost 100% of you said, well, it varied, actually, it was about 80% on Facebook, but 100% on Instagram said that this wasn't something that mattered, which we, we did kind of expect, didn't we, Kate? Yeah, I think I think we did. You know, there are so many considerations to make when choosing a clinic. And at the moment, Um, the option to choose a green clinic isn't even there. So I don't think it's been on anybody's radar. But it is interesting. And I think it it will start to make people think whether or not it influences their decision, perhaps not. But actually, if all clinics could be shown that they're green, then great. We're kind of making a, a step in the right direction as far as the environment is concerned, aren't we? And if you want to understand about how a clinic could be more green, do go back and listen to that chat with Danny. Here she is again, though, because we, whilst we had her, we wanted to ask her from her experience what made her happy and sad in her job. Hi, my name's Danny. I'm a locum embryologist. And one of the things that makes me so happy in my job is seeing the patient's face or hearing the patient's voice when I've told them good news. Um, the happy tears are definitely my favourite type of tears. And that then brings me on to my least favourite part or sort of the thing that makes me unhappy in embryology. And that is, of course, it is giving the bad news. It's, it's telling the patient that their one chance has failed and no one can prepare you for that as a scientist. Unfortunately, there's nothing that we can do. It's when you've sort of exhausted your options and you have a patient on the end of the phone and all you want to do is help them. It makes you feel not useless, but just you are a bit helpless and you just you can't give them any other situation. You can't give them a better outcome. And I think, yeah, you just feel a little bit helpless in those situations. You do get more used to giving bad news. And I would say um, you do build up a bit of a front so you can kind of uh, sort of take yourself away from it and not sort of invest in the same way. And I think that's probably how I cope with it is just put up a bit of a wall. I have to treat it as like, this is the information I'll listen, but I have to keep it separate. Otherwise, you really it does weigh on you. Now, our last chat today, which is by no means least, is with Giles Palmer, who is a clinical embryologist. I'm working with Giles at I3, which is the International IVF Initiative, to make a podcast of their webinars. You might have seen me share it on uh, some of my stories. Now, these are such fascinating webinars. If you want to totally geek out in the world of embryology, I'll put links in the show notes about what they do. But I was really keen to get Giles to talk more about his experience as a more mature embryologist and what he has discovered about the state of mental health for these people that we hold in such high regard when we are going through treatment. Here's Giles. My name is Giles Palmer. I'm a clinical embryologist. I've been doing this job for, I hate to say really, it's been over 30 years. 
Um, I've been very fortunate. Uh, I started working at Hammersmith Hospital in London. A very exciting time with IVF, um, the start of PGT, which was the genetic diagnosis era, if you like. Um, A lot of people who have gone on to do wonderful things were there. Lord Robert Winston was there. Um, Alan Handyside, of course, the pioneer of PGT. And other scientists have just been spread uh, around the world from that early beginnings, really. And it's a fantastic job. It's it's meant that I could travel. In fact, I've spent most of my working life um, outside the UK. I'm now based back in the UK. Um, I'm taking more sort of managerial roles, but most of my time is taken up by being executive director to an educational forum where we put on uh, educational webinars almost twice weekly to a global IVF uh, community. And it highlights things about embryology, like the benchtop work we do, some more important things that concern our profession and um, our status, really, as well. We look at sometimes off-piste webinars. We've done some about cloning of endangered species. We've done a very popular one, which was about how space travel and working in space affects fertility, something which isn't normally spoke about. But again, mainly it's about um, IVF, our new techniques, what we do, and how to present this in a very um, educational manner. These webinars are very popular. We have over 800 people that attend from all over the world, and they can be seen later, of course, online. And we're just having a great time doing them, really. And that's how I started working with you, helping to put some of that webinar content into the the world of the podcast. And it's how I, I suppose, got to learn so much more insight about embryologists as, as, a, as a profession. Now, one of the things that I was really fascinated when I heard uh, I3 do a webinar on was discussing the issues around mental health of embryologists. And you had pulled together a range of different voices, old and young, to talk about some of the concerns in the profession. I'm going to share a bit of that conversation, but I just wanted to get, I suppose, an overview from you, because is there a brain drain and an issue with an aging population of embryologists at the moment? Well, there is actually. It's quite sad to say, but that's what we found out in a survey that we did. So it all started when we, in fact, started this I3 initiative where we looked at mental health because the topic of mental health is popular nowadays but it hasn't been looked at as far as embryologists there's been a lot of work looking at clinicians a lot of work looking at healthcare providers and um, like emergency first line people but to be quite honest our job is quite stressful too and we did an international survey there was over 1,300 people that we applied and that is now a study and it was presented at Fertility 2022 and it, won, and it won an award. And it's really sort of highlighting like the occupational demands and the stress which the embryologist could have. Now, don't, you know, think that it's all sad and whatever. It's just, a, we're just sort of, you know, picking up on a few issues that we find because um, to think about mental health really in embryology, you have to really go back a step and think about our job. Um, it's unlike a lot of the um, medical scientific jobs that are around there like you're having like a pathology job or or in a genetics laboratory um it needs a lot of skill um there's very little automation which there are in other lab labs um and it relies on good hand coordination and you seldom work alone so you're any you're you're only part of the story so uh, it's rare that, a, that an embryologist will do um you know, a complete cycle of IVF. Perhaps I'll do the egg collection. Perhaps some will um, prepare the semen analysis. Some will do the embryo transfer. So we really work as a team. Um, and each person on that day is given sort of a different job to do. But it is 
very stressful or it can be very stressful and um this has been highlighted for over the years of working that, that i have seen many of my colleagues who've had some mental health problems looking back it is a bit stressful it's it's a job where you are appraised every day you know how many eggs fertilized why didn't this person get pregnant or so um but i think the job attracts um a certain type of person that is very very passionate about their job i think you have to be because there's a lot of personal time commitment that you need you have to work weekends not every weekend often but you have to be on a rotor you're you're often on call because all the critical um mission critical equipment is on alarms and you have to be um on call if there's an alarm that goes off in the dead of the night and it is a job which is constantly changing it's changed tremendously since when i started a lot of things have got easier we used to make our own medium we used to um do a lot of the stuff which we can now buy off the shelf medium but the job has changed and perhaps the younger population are a little bit different to us who just like took it in and we used to work so many late hours and with our personal commitment now there's a more as a stronger emphasis of course on work life balance and and that's having its effect i think on the job more importantly is that in this survey that we did we looked at demographics finally we saw for the first time that there are more females the males that do embryology overall there's about 75% females to males doing that but of course it changes in different regions but what was interesting is that we are aging out and a lot of the webinars which we've done now uh, we've sort of like migrated to this problem we've seen a lot of people and even this year a lot of big names a lot of very mature embryologists have now retired if you think about it it's it's been just over 40 years since louise brown and the early embryologists were brought on because they knew about cell biology and and they learned on an apprentice system now things are much more regulated but what we can see and in the survey it showed that in the, in america especially there's over 44% of embryologists had over 20 years of experience so they're leaving the field and of course it's very difficult to find people for the jobs now it's a great job to get into it seems that everyone is hiring on linkedin and on our personal ads we can see that there's a great demand for embryologists and you could say that's because after the pandemic okay it hasn't quite finished but of course after the covid times there's been a great demand for ivf treatment if every clinic has seen an increase in people that want children the job has changed in itself as well so we really need a lot more embryologists so with the people retiring and leaving and the massive demand and there's been a lot of people changing jobs recently there's been a lot of headhunting but it's just getting in the new embryologists to fill those places so when we talk about the mental health side and this episode is in essence how happy is your embryologist and some of the skills the need for dexterity and focus and concentration and how there's kind of constant pressure because stuff is often done against the clock so we've got that time pressure that accountability pressure and we know that there's all advances in technology happening and then there's ultimately that conversation with the patient about what the outcome is are there certain areas that you're hearing people are finding more stressful is it doing the job or is it the patient interaction for example the whole thing that we looked at is like burnout mm. and what i didn't realize was that you know burnout is an actual recognized syndrome medically and that's when you have like a disparity between you know your workplace demands and like the resources. So if you're not doing the job that you 
you know, want to do and you're passionate about, then you can feel a bit cynical, you can be not so productive, and you can also get like exhaustion. So in this study, we, we looked at many things. And personally, you know, it's a job where you're, you yourself are constantly looked at under the microscope, but you need to do well, you know, you need to have those skills, you're always trying to improve, you're always trying to help, you know, with fertilization rate, getting nice blastocysts, you're sort of always on the go. So Yes, you've got these skills which you have to attain, but there's all the other factors that go into that and also working with the team. You know, what we did find is in this survey was that 41% of the embryologists did suffer from some kind of like emotional exhaustion. There was 25% of people that had thought about changing jobs. But interestingly, the percentage of people that had been absent from their job was remarkably low, which I think shows their dedication and that's very strange to see in a study about burnout because usually when you're thinking about you know leaving a job you'll be absent to mitigate stress you really need a good team behind you and you need like a company that appreciates that areas where people thought that there was need for change was in fact in that it's on the workload you know people felt a little bit stressed about the work they had to do in a given time and remember yes we have to work you know literally every day of the week because an embryo doesn't stop for Sunday or whatever but also uh, patience is a key you know if you know you kind of watch the clock and if an insemination has to be done at a certain time or if there's a delay you know perhaps you know the man can you know like cannot produce or there's been a delay in the egg collection you have to be there uh, like one issue was in fact talking to patients a lot of people didn't expect this when you know when they started embryology it is a very important job and unfortunately breaking bad news is a part of our job which is not trained at universities you literally learn on the job now in the uk many clinics do in fact give courses on breaking bad news or in fact explaining things and this has been a cause for um, stress in many cases other things really been work-life balance okay now me myself being a bit longer in the tooth it was just something that you had to live and bear with it wasn't even a thing that you thought about now of course the younger generation are you know like demanding this and quite rightly so but there's enough spaces if people can fill them. So, you know, that was it in a nutshell, really. It was just looking at demands of the job. Invariably, we had sort of like a narrative end to the questionnaire, which was like, you know, what would you do? And it was about having in-house support if you did have any kind of like stress issues. The other one was have a, you know, like a supportive management. And again, good teamwork because it really is, you know, like a team effort. And uh, I've been very fortunate that I've worked with, you know, some fantastic labs and we really do have a good time, okay? It's very serious work. We're very focused. But if you're the team of you and some, some person has your back and you can chat throughout the day in a closed environment because the labs are a closed environment. Many don't have windows. Many don't have windows because there's the issue of, you know, air quality and even like the sunlight coming in and affecting some of the machinery. So it can be, a, you know, a very lonely place in the lab. So that's where you need a lot of support. I know exactly how important a window is, having spent a lot of my career in a radio studio without one. So I hear that. But I think that's so interesting. In embryology, people are really, really passionate about the job. And you see this even more now where you have the ability to see embryologists work. You see them on, you know, social media and out there. They actually love their job. They're actually posting how they do ICSI and how they biopsy and they have tattoos of embryos and and they have number plates okay so what other profession would you have that you know would you be a baker and put a loaf of bread on your arm people are actually passionate about this job there's a lot of artists they do some fantastic artwork and it's all over the internet and this is their job so again you know this is a fantastic job to be in and they are incredibly passionate about the job. 
Now, Kate wasn't able to join me for this chat, but I know you've had a good listen there. What did you think? Well, first off, before we get into the geeky stuff, I think I've got a bit of a crush on Giles. I just love his voice. <laughs> I, I could listen to him forever. Hi, Giles. <laughs> I'll let him know. <laughs> One thing that really struck me, and again, I hadn't really thought about this before, that it's 75% females to males who are embryologists, which is really interesting. Mm. So let's think about that for a moment. You've got an embryologist who's female who is juggling possibly their family, as well as working really long hours, weekends. Or maybe they're trying to conceive. And maybe they're trying to conceive. Absolutely. So if you add all of that into the mix of stress and busyness that they're going to be under, then that completely impounds all of that. One of the other things that I really liked was uh, when he said the line, an embryo doesn't stop for Sunday. I just felt like that's got to be a quote that I'm going to have to share on my socials as well. I mean, it's so true, isn't it? So true. Absolutely. Yeah, it doesn't suddenly just go, oh, I'll have a little snooze here and stop developing. <laughs> Put, you know, put my feet up. <laughs> That's not going to happen. One thing that I just found fascinating when he said is that as an embryologist, by the very nature of their work, they are appraised every day by yeah. how many eggs they're able to get, how well the embryo is doing, and that, that they are accountable. Wow, that really blew my mind, actually. Did it you? Yeah, just the constant pressure. And then within all of that, if you've had to deliver bad news, like we heard the different embryologists through the episode talking about how that made them feel, you got to admire these people. And I know there's such a variety of jobs out there in the world that have all their own stresses, but obviously we're putting the spotlight on this because it's so relevant to the conversations that we're having about IVF, what we're in, what, what we're going through. I just think it, it, it really did also add that human element to this person doing this role in this process. It is fascinating. I think it was also fascinating when he talks about that the skilled expert embryologists are all the ones that are now retiring. And actually we're now... It's just of the age, I guess it's inevitable, isn't it, based on when IVF started, that we've got to that point now where we need a whole new load of embryologists to take over. And it's actually skilling up that workforce, recruiting that workforce and skilling up that workforce quickly because those really experienced ones are, are going. And that's what I was thinking whilst I was making this as well was could this be something for you? Like, as in not saying that this is a recruitment drive, but if someone's listening because of their experience from infertility, that then they would like to go into this. I was just thinking how, what a story that would be that, you know, your, your life experience led your job to go down this fascinating field. Who knows? But it's over to you now, because what we're trying to do with this podcast series is to really gauge your experience. And what in this instance, has your experience been like with your embryologist? We're going to be running some polls on our socials, so do go and check them out. I'm at Fertility Poddy on Insta and Twitter. And I'm at Your Fertility Nurse on Instagram. And you can also email us, info at thefertilitypodcast.com. Plus, don't forget to rate and review this episode so we know if you're enjoying it, which you can do in your favourite podcast app. Until the next time. So thanks again to this series sponsor, Tomorrow, who digitally track frozen eggs and embryos, offering transparency directly to patients for the first time. Their solution also removes most of the manual steps in the current cryomanagement process, significantly reducing the possibility of error. To learn more or to talk to your healthcare provider about storing your embryos or eggs with Tomorrow, visit tomorrow.org.